What's possible if you let go of the shoulds, right wrongs, and supposed tos? What could you create? Who would you get to be? And what would you experience as a leader, parent, colleague, or whatever hat you're wearing? What qualities would you bring to the space? This podcast will invite and empower you to step over the idea of waiting for tomorrow or for someday and begin today of foraging hand in hand with your fear, your first bold leaps towards the life, team, or business that truly fills you up and inspires you. Hi, I'm your host, Rebecca Zimmerman, executive life and leadership coach and recovering perfectionist. If you believe it's time to step out of the rat race and into your own success on your own terms, you're in the right place. Welcome to Trailblazing Growth. Welcome back. I'm really excited to share a conversation with an esteemed colleague and a fellow trailblazer within our Northwest Ohio community. Her name is Rebecca, just like mine, spelled a little different, but her journey really is something to hear. She has really put herself out there. She's been told no and risked things anyways, and she's just the quintessential example of what it means to be a trailblazer. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Lieutenant Colonel Rebecca Ohm, who is a retired F-16 fighter pilot instructor pilot, and commander from the 180th Fighter Wing in Swanton, Ohio. She is also the owner of one of the Toledo area's finest coffee shops. Rebecca began her career at the 180th Fighter Wing in January of 1993, where she was assigned to the Aircraft Maintenance Squadron as a flight line crew chief. In 94, she was selected for a pilot slot at the 180th Fighter Wing, becoming the first and still only female fighter pilot at the 180th Fighter Wing and within the Ohio Air National Guard. She also served as an aircraft maintenance squadron commander, as well as the deputy group commander. Rebecca has been on several combat deployments and received the Air Medal in support of Operations Northern Watch, Southern Watch, and Iraqi Freedom. She also received the Meritorious Service Medal during her time at the 180th Fighter Wing. So she really is decorated. Rebecca has combined her love of flying with an entrepreneurial spirit and in 2007 opened an aviation-themed coffee shop with her husband, John, in Perrysburg, Ohio. So that's actually where I met Rebecca. Both her and I have a love and passion for aviation and an entrepreneurial spirit. So it was really two peas in a pod when I met her. She has been the main force behind the success of her business, The Flying Joe. Again, there's that spin on aviation as well as food and beverage. She's been acting as the chief financial officer, public relations officer, marketing director, and bookkeeper for The Flying Joe. Rebecca is a 1995 graduate of Bowling Green State University. She's attended specialized undergraduate pilot training in Columbus, Mississippi, where she met her husband, John. As a drill status guardsman, Rebecca has been able to balance her roles as a commander, as a pilot, 
as a business owner and as her most important role, which is as a mother of three, Zachary, Olivia, and Emily. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into the conversation and I can't wait for you to hear about her journey of trailblazing growth, taking bold leaps on herself and despite of the opposition and the resistance and building the life that she really wants and that fills her up. So we're going to jump right in. Welcome, Becky. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to Trailblazing Growth. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my listeners just learned a little bit about you being a female fighter pilot. You're also a coffee shop owner. So tell us about your journey. Well, just a little clarification there. My husband wrote that bio, so okay. uh, it might sound even better than it if I would have written it. But yeah, so as you heard, I uh, started my journey a long time ago. Um, I went to Bowling Green University, and that's where I did all my flying lessons. At that point, I decided I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot. So. Nice talked to a F-16 pilot that was an instructor down there. And he was telling me about this thing called the Air National Guard. And I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of it. Well, the Guard is like the best kept secret. Because you go in, you commit, obviously, to be in the military. Um, You know where you're going to be stationed at. So I knew I would be stationed at Toledo. And then I got to sort of choose my career at that point, like what section I wanted to go to. And then they also help pay for your college tuition. So it's a, it's a great benefit for people that didn't know about it. So I actually went and talked to a recruiter and I talked to a recruiter and I asked, you know, how do I become a F-16 pilot? And at that time, that was in 1993 at that time, they were not allowing women to fly in combat. So Mm. the Air Force did not want to hire them to train. So if you look at like the Navy, they were hiring females, but they were only able to do the training portion. They couldn't fly in combat. So Mm. the Air Force said, well, we're not going to just hire you to train. So I wasn't able to apply. And she said, your choices are you can basically enter their National Guard, we'll get you set up in a in a job and you can be enlisted and you can see if by chance that waiver is lifted at any point. But it would be rolling the dice. Or you can go to Mansfield and fly C one thirties. Because I knew I could do that. So my choices were C one thirties or Toledo Air National Guard and and hopefully F sixteen slot later on down the the line. So I chose Toledo and I wanted to wait it out. I joined as basically an aircraft mechanic crew chief and probably then in a year and a half from that point in 1994, they lifted the band and I was able to apply. So I applied and they selected me. So off I went to pilot training. Awesome. So yeah, it was pretty exciting. So that's one of the reasons why I was the first female at Toledo, because I was right there at the beginning. And then since then, they really haven't 
I don't know if it's because a lot of females are not, they don't want to do that or they don't know about it, but I was the only one and still am to this day. Hopefully that'll change in the next year or so, but yeah, that's how it stands right now. Yeah. So why the F-16 over the other aircraft? Well, I knew I wanted to fly fighters and I mean, the C-130 is a really great airplane, but it's not the mission I wanted. Mm. It's, you know, cargo hauling and does some cool things, but I really wanted to be to fly in combat and be a fighter pilot. And although I didn't know much about it at the time, but <laughs> I only knew what I knew from Top Gun, really. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's a good so, movie. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if I didn't have the Toledo National Guard, I probably would have found another another Air National Guard or go active duty and hopefully fly a fighter that way. But you're so you're really determined to create this yes. for yourself. I think yeah. one of the other reasons why I did choose F-16 was because it's what I knew and I grew up seeing them fly around and then I worked on them. So it was really a cool transition. Awesome. And when you say you worked on them, that's when you were the mechanic. Yes. I, okay. A crew chief is really the, they're the flight line mechanics. They're in charge of that airplane. So you get assigned an airplane and you are in charge of all the maintenance, upkeep, pre-flight inspections. So basically when the pilot comes out to the airplane, the crew chief is the one that basically hands over the airplane to them and letting them know, Hey, this is airworthy. And then they launch the pilot out. And then when they land, they come back in and they're the ones that marshal them in. And then they go through the inspection process right away. Got it. And when you were the mechanic, were you one of some females of like female mechanics or were you (laughs) the only one in that capacity too? No, actually, there weren't a lot, but I was, I think at that time, I was one of three. Okay. Um, there are two older ladies that were full-time there. So, you know, it wasn't like I was alone, but yeah, it was few and far between. So the section I was in, it was basically all guys. Okay. And like, you know, I think the assumption is that fighter pilot or flying in general is more of a male dominated industry. Would you agree with that assumption? Yes, totally. More so back when I first started flying, I think a lot more females have gotten word about it and interested in that career, but um, definitely still male dominated. Yeah. So what was your experience like as the only female fighter pilot or as one of three female mechanics, like being in this industry? Well, as a mechanic, you know, it's still a guy's world. So it's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're polite just because you're around. Okay. <laughs> Say more about uh, that. Yeah. They don't, I mean, they don't soften their personality just because I was there. I mean, they, they're, that's who they are and they're going to be who they are. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't mind it. I wasn't treated poorly in any way. In a lot of ways, a lot of them looked at me like I'm the younger sister, almost. Like I had a lot of big brothers. So that was a cool, yeah. cool environment. Of course, you're never just one of the guys, like that saying. You can never do everything the guys are doing because, you know, they 
you know, if you're on a deployment, you're not in the same area they are. And so, mm. you know, what is that? Like if like you're, that. so if you're in a, a deployment <clears throat> and you're not in their same area, is that up in the sky or is that on the ground or on the ground? I mean, you know, they all are in the same dormitory or barracks or whatever it is. And, okay. you know, you're off in a different area. Mm-hmm. And then in some cases, not all cases, but so when you have that camaraderie, it's, it's not always going to be the same because you are separated in a certain way. Okay. And how do you think that impacted like your overall experience as being the only female fighter pilot for your, for Ohio, it sounds like. So coming back as a fighter pilot was different than when I came back as a crew chief. Okay. I think that the guys, the crew chief, you know, I wasn't the first one, although I was one of very few. They were, it was something more familiar than it was as a fighter pilot. So what's a crew chief just for everybody's understanding? The crew chief is another name for the aircraft mechanic or the, okay, basically the flight line mechanic. So okay. you have your flight line mechanics and then you have your back shop or specialty area mechanic. Okay. So you have, the crew chiefs, you know, they're the ones that they launch and recover the airplane. They do all the pre-flights and post-flights and things like that and service it. it. And you have like your electronics or hydraulics or, you know, some of the more spe- uh, specialized shops that they're not fully working on the flight line. They have their shops to go back to. Then you have weapons. It's just like what it sounds. They... <laughs> They bring out the weapons and yeah. the aircraft. Right. Yeah. And then you have back shop ammunitions and things like that. So okay. the crew chief is just the mechanic that pretty much is the one that touches the airplane first and is the last one to touch it at night. Okay. So um, they're the primary. They, they used to call it, I don't know if they still do, but it's called uh, DCC, Dedicated Crew Chief, and that's the okay. person that will be dedicated to that airplane. Like, you have the pilot's name on one side, and then you mm-hmm. have the crew chief's name on the other side. Got it. Got it. You had the opportunity to not only be the crew mm-hmm. chief, but also have your name on uh, the airplane on the other side at some point. Yes. Okay. I and am, so, as the oh, pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, being that you're the only female fighter pilot, and you said there was kind of that separation, like, on the ground, they would sleep over there in their barracks, I think is what you said, and then you would be over here, um, you know, and then just being up in the sky and being a combat fighter pilot, what fears, what doubts did you have being that person, doing that, doing that job? Well, I think... uh you know, I was my own worst enemy at some mm-hmm. point because, you know, you're you're in uncharted territory. So you worry what people are going to think of you and mm-hmm. if you're good enough. And did I screw that up because I was a girl? And, mm-hmm. you know, all those stereotypical things that, you know, like the, the saying, you hit like a girl or you, mm-hmm. you run like a girl, that, that sort of thing. So I was worried that, people would look at me and expect me to fail. And so they were mm. looking at me closer than they normally would. 
So you're more of under a microscope rather than just, you know, being part of the group. You're like almost singled out. Hmm. And that, that is in my head and necessarily what was happening or people were thinking, but that's, you know, the, the struggle I went through and then being confident enough and not doubting my performance and dwelling on mistakes. So, yeah. And what do you think shifted you? What do you think shifted you from those fears of like feeling like you're under a microscope and then having that confidence that you talked about? I don't think that doubt of that I'm under a microscope really went away ever, but um, it did definitely lessen as I went Mm. through training and I got used to my environment and then I went back to Toledo and got used to that environment and then realized, oh, okay, I'm, people know who I am now and I'm accepted and, but it wasn't that way at the beginning. So, you you know, one, it's as you come in as a female and they don't know who you are and so then they're looking at you in this different lens. And if you're a guy just coming in, they're like, you know, whatever. But as a yeah. female coming in you're, and you're the only one, they're just watching you, you know? Yeah. How did that alter like the way you showed up? Like that feeling of like, I'm under a microscope and not really knowing if that's how they were interpreting the situation. Like how did that affect the way you showed up? I would say I was a little intimidated, which I think is fairly normal, but I went in there feeling that way. But then as I got comfortable and I got assigned to my flight commander and got to know people, um, I think that I felt less of that because now I'm starting to get to know the group and they're starting to get to know me and accept me. Yeah. You know, accept me for real because oh they they realize I'm pretty cool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they they're like, Oh yeah, this is cool. She's one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was just that sort of like breaking the ice, meeting mm-hmm. new people for anybody, but a little bit more of the extreme. So and then, you know, there was there were guys that I knew didn't feel that women should be in the military, Mm. let alone flying fighters. Wow. And I knew that going into it. I knew it when I came back from training. And so there was a few of those and I just had to just sort of try to ignore that and just be myself. Yeah. And there's this thing, um, like I, I use a lot of Brene Brown's practices and uh, tools. And one of them is like being in the arena and the arena is doing that vulnerable thing, stepping in and really rumbling with vulnerability, whatever that looks like. If it's being a combat fighter pilot, if it's walking into a room full of men where you know that some aren't accepting you, whatever it might be, me, whatever it might be uh, to that individual. And there's different sections in the arena. And there's the cheap seat section that like hurl advice at you, you know, but they've never really stepped into the arena, but boy, do they have a lot to share. And then there's the season ticket holders that you kind of talked about of like scarcity and doubt and comparison that always show up when you're, you know, your hand is on the doorknob ready to walk into the arena. 
and then there's the back seats and it's you know the people who sit there are um, they built the arena but they built it for people who look just like them or who act just like them and so they're you know up there saying like oh back in the day you know when life was great this is how it would go um that's kind of what i'm hearing mm-hmm. you say through this and then there's the last section of the support section and that's that's the seat for self-compassion and empathy and what i heard you say is hey i showed up and like i just was me you know it's like you really leaned into authenticity rather than like turning the volume up on the box seats or turning the value up on the on the cheap seats is that yeah. sad? like does that resonate at all with you yeah i think so i and you can tell when people are putting on almost like a show where they're that's not who they are but they go in there trying to be part of the group and this is not necessarily even just for females it's for everybody they're not really being themselves but they want to be accepted so they turn into this other person and yeah like they shape shift yeah i mean i think everybody is a little bit different when they go into work here and when they come home everybody's a little different but it's being having a little bit of you in both those Mm -hmm. aspects. And if you are faking it, it'll show up sometime. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. (laughs) And to me, when I'm, you know, when I was living a life where like I was putting a mask on, like kind of that faking it that you were saying, it was exhausting. Like I didn't have energy. It was draining. And so, you know, you showing up as you is the least taxing thing to do, you know? versus a different version that somebody else wants you to be. So kind of in that same vein, like I would say it it would take courage not only to be a fighter pilot, let alone a combat fighter pilot, being the only female running a business, um, it would take courage. So how do you describe like being courageous? I would say that if you are courageous, that doesn't mean you're not scared of something. Mm. That means you're scared of it scare the crap out of you, but you're still going to do it. It's not going to stop you. Just fearing it is not going to stop you. And having that courage to do it is what makes someone courageous. Like my daughter, she's 12 now, but Mm. she's very shy. And she's the shyest of my three kids. And she said, well, I want to, I want to be in this play. And this was when she was this was like six years ago or when she was far younger. She goes, I want to be in this play. And I was like, okay, you know, if you want to do that. And she did her practices and everything. And it came time for, (laughs) it was the show day or whatever. And I was just so proud of her for going up there and being scared out of her mind to go in front of all those people. But yeah, she did it. And then her very first line I guess the person that was supposed to go first screwed it up. So they were supposed to go in order down the line and whoever was in front of her took her line. Oh, And so when it got to her, she didn't know what to say and she starts crying. And then the director stops the show, starts it again. And then she just went back up there and she was great. So that, that to me is like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm scared of this, but I'm going to still do it anyway. Yeah. And even like there was a hiccup there. That's what I heard. There was a hiccup there and she still chose to go out, be brave, be courageous and like have a do over. Yeah. Yeah, She could have run off the stage and. Right. (laughs) 
That's really cool. Yeah. All right, you guys, I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you to join my five-month group coaching cohort called The Leaderboard, and it begins this February of 2023. I'm co-coaching the group with Kelly Shaw, and she's a former global casino supplier executive and nonprofit leader from Las Vegas who has turned coach and consultant. So this is a group you won't want to skip over. This leaderboard mastermind will be full of like-minded people who are trailblazers. They're leaders, they're executives, managers, or owners, and you all have a common goal of exploring who you currently are as a leader, leaning into who you want to be as a leader to get you past your comfort zone. It's running your life and business, not the other way around, and reckoning with your own discomfort So you can get more connected with yourself, allowing you to truly be with people through the good, the bad, and the ugly, because that's part of leadership. So this mastermind is moving past people-pleasing and shape-shifting for others and having confidence to lead from core values and standing for others so they can show up through aligned values. It's identifying and disassembling your armored ego, which we all have. So you can shift to leading from your essence instead of that self-preservation and gaining skills to be with and disarm others and their armored ego. So this group coaching mastermind is not your conventional group where we teach and facilitate at the front of the room. It's really generated by you, by the group. It's interactive, it's community. Sure, we'll dive into tools and resources and go after goals, but it's about reckoning with the uncomfortable and being with me, being with Kelly, being with the other like-minded people and coming from a place of vulnerability, coming from a place of just being who you are and who you wanna be. So jump into the show notes and click the link to join the group. Enrollment is closing soon and we're intentionally keeping this group smaller to foster confidentiality, foster vulnerability, and intimacy. So thanks for listening to this quick interruption. Now let's get back to the show. And so like thinking about, you know, who you had to be and what you experienced as a fighter pilot, and then you taking the bold leap of rolling the die and choosing this aircraft over the other one and kind of gambling and taking the risk. How do you see that translating into you being a coffee shop entrepreneur? Well, that's also scary territory because, well, we never did it before. And we probably, we didn't know what we were getting to, which was probably a good thing because we might not have done it. So, yeah. But my husband and I, you know, when we decided we were based in Oklahoma and we, we said, oh, that would be cool to do this. We had another, some friends that were, had their own shop and like, oh, this would be cool when we get settled down wherever we're going to be settled down at. So then like probably four years later, we ended up back in Perrysburg because I'm from Oregon, Ohio. And we ended up here and I had, I was still part-time with the guard. So I didn't have a permanent full-time job. Mm-hmm. And John was just getting out of active duty military. And so he just had his guard job that was part-time. So 
we're like, well, we have, we don't really have any commitments to full-time jobs. Maybe this is the perfect time to do it. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's check it out. And we did some research and looked at some spaces and then talked to the bank and we went through the process. And at the end of it, we're, we thought, Hey, let's do this. This will be fun. This will be cool. We went ahead and did it. And then I think a week later, after we had already committed, my boss from the base called me up and offered me a full-time job. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So that was a struggle to juggle all of that at once. Um, Okay. But we made it work. So you did do both. Yeah. My husband did. He ran it basically during the week. Okay. And did the main main manager responsibilities, and then I would come in on the weekends and work. Got it. So, How old were your kids then? We didn't have kids then. Oh, you didn't have kids then. Okay. I think if we had kids, we would not have probably done it. Okay. That would have been a lot. But yeah, yeah we that was in 2007. And then Zach, my oldest, was born in January of 2009. And at that time, I think I was deciding to go just part-time with military and John was still just doing part-time. And so he, we switched roles there where he went and did a full-time flying job basically. And I went down to part-time with my flying job. So, but it was, uh, it was scary. And the first year or two were, it was very scary because, we opened and then the recession hit. Mm, yeah. And every, like every week we'd hear of a new business closing. It was awful. Wow. And we actually were able to financially support it. And we kept it going through the bad years, but I mean, you know how that is. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. So what kept you engaged during that recession? I think, I just think that it was really a cool, it was a cool space. It was a cool place to go to. And, Mm. you know, when we'd go in, we'd, you know, we had made friends with our customers and we'd go in and, you know, it was like social hour. So yeah, like a family room. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was still a lot of fun. I mean, it still is, but yeah, I think that kept us engaged and then, there are definitely points where I'm like, let's just sell this thing and yeah, move on. And I mean, there was probably 10 times where I said that. Yeah. Maybe more. What do you think led you to that place of like, oh my gosh, let's just sell it? I mean, you know, it's hard to manage employees. It's also hard to support a business that's not being profitable. Mm-hmm you're putting this money into it and you're not paying yourself. So when you get to the point, we're not getting any joy out of it. then hmm. okay, let's move on from this. And yeah. And what I heard you say the first time was like, you're passionate about it and you enjoyed like kind of the living room experience that you created, not only for your customers, but for yourself. Yeah. It's definitely uh, changed over the years. I mean, we've mm-hmm. gotten a lot busier than we were those first few years. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know more of our customers, which is great. And then, um, just 
because I would say that when I had my kids when they were young, I was not as involved in it as I am now. Like, okay. I had managers and things that would run it and, you know, it'd be status quo. It would do what it needs to do to pay the bills, but that was about it. And now you're more active in it, right? Yes. Okay. Then there was a point where I got excited about it again and was able to get more involved. You know, when you have, at that time, it was two young kids, Zach and Olivia were like 16 months apart. So it was just constant diapers and, you know, that stage where you can't really, you don't have any more brain bites to do anything else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then after I got past that point is when I started to get more involved and start to grow the business and be, you know, just more excited about it and passionate about what I was doing. Yeah. You guys are really creative over there. Check out the social media. It's called Flying Joe's and, um, or Flying Joe. And I, the, I think your profile picture right now is a, a coffee, but the, it's like a cinnamon like thing and it's a fighter pilot like i don't know if you want to describe that uh oh yeah that's the um that was for that? top gun weekend yes we got a stencil made and it mm. was the fighter aircraft and we started doing this a while back where we get stencils and then put cinnamon or whatever it was and then you just put the stencil on and pour the cinnamon in and it creates that whatever your stencil is so that was yeah. for our top gun weekend and we had um, that one and a couple other different stencils. And we created some cool drinks for really that weekend. Cool. Yeah. So that, yeah. that is probably one of the funnest things about the job, I think, is creating the new menus and mm. coming up with the drinks and the drink names and the different yeah. events that we do. And you, you touched on, like, it's hard to manage people, um, something along those lines. And so what obstacles do you think, like, what obstacles did you find yourself navigating, not only as a leader, but as a female leader? I think at the beginning, just making sure I'm holding my own with different personalities and not backing down. There's, you know, obviously everybody comes with it at a different level of investment where, Mm -hmm. you know, you have your employees that just want to come in, clock in, clock out do the job and leave. They don't want to hear anything about you after they're done. Mm. And then you have other employees that, you know, they really have fun and they want to hang out and are more invested in the business. So I think that when we first started, it was, you know, we, I had some issues where I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously, I guess. Mm. And that could have been them as their personality. Okay. I'm not sure what exactly it was from, but I had that that vibe. And I think it also depends on the age of the person too, whether they, in their experiences, whether they've had many female bosses or not, or what do they feel about that? So it really depends on that person too. I would absolutely agree with that. Of When I was co-leading with my husband of our wine bar that we had, I felt that. And I know that was my stuff, you know, looking back at it. That's 
my stuff of uh, feeling that, but it's the more people I talk to, the more women I talk to, and the more common I'm seeing that 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 mindset is. So what, like from where you started to where you are now, like, how do you see yourself? Like, I know I see your cat. I love it. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Oliver. Oliver? Put his butt in my face. <laughs> So like kind of considering like, Hey, like people are hard to manage. And when I first started, like this was my experience. What's your experience now? Like, how do you see yourself, you know, as a grown leader? I would say that at the beginning, being new to leadership in the military and otherwise, you want to make sure that you're being taken seriously. And, but you also want to make sure you're, you're liked. So that's, it's a hard Mm. part about being a boss. You know, you want, people to like you, but then you also have to be the boss over here, Hmm. especially with like some of the age group. And I would say that coffee shop employees are mainly females. So Hmm. you get close with them and start getting attached to them or whatever. So I forgot what your question was. So, (laughs) Oh no. Sometimes the the dialogue (laughs) doesn't even require the question anymore because I liked where you were going with it. It was just, yeah. you know, what obstacles did you face and like, where do you see yourself now as, as a leader? Oh, that's right. I would say that it's funny how just even a couple of years can change you because, you know, I would say three or four years ago, I would not be an intimidated, but I would let certain people take advantage a little bit mm. of me being nice and, mm. you know, easygoing. I feel like sometimes taken advantage of. And I think it was because of a mutual respect. I respected them, but I was not being respected. So, mm. you know, they could talk to me like however they wanted and they could This was earlier. Through. This was yeah. earlier in your leadership. Yeah. Okay. But then as you, as you grow and as a leader and you learn from experiences and you realize, Hey, you know, I'm the one in charge here. This is my business. Mm -hmm. This is not your business. Although I welcome people's opinions. It's not a democracy. Everybody does not get a vote when you're running a business. And I really feel like a few years back or whatever it was that I had some issues where that was the case where, you know, sometimes people think they all get a vote and they all get to Mm -hmm. decide when that's not the case. You have to sometimes make hard calls and you know, you're you're the one paying the bills. So you need to make sure that you are the one making those hard calls. Yeah. And like, who do you think you need to be as a person in order to like make that hard call while also receiving all of the feedback? I think that you have to be very open to people, but Mm -hmm. then you have to know where to draw the line. And that's where I had some trouble with, like, yeah, you know, making sure I drew that line. I really enjoy trying to find everybody's, their strengths hmm. and what they can bring to the job. Yeah. Um, you know, some people don't want to get involved in any, anything else, but, you know, clocking in and out, like I said, but then there are other people that really want to be a part of it. and. I like to, I guess I like to find talent in unusual places. 
That's so I look at the employee and I look at what their strengths are and like, Oh, maybe we could use that for this. Do you have an example of that? Like finding talent in unusual (laughs) places? As far as playing off their strengths. One time I had an employee who was really good at graphic design. So Hmm. I had her take some hacks at like design, design things for the shop, like t-shirts and menus and logos. And then I have another employee currently that she's going to school to be, to be in human resources. So I'm like, well, why don't you be in charge of the hiring now and the HR part of this business? (laughs) Yeah. So um, she was really excited about that. So she's now in charge of screening people for interviews and bringing interviews in, setting them up and interviewing people and, like it's not just about delegation. It's it's about tapping into their unique strengths and kind of enrolling them into the idea of like, hey, you're really good at this. Like what value do you see in like spearheading this project here? And in the meantime, yeah. like so they're winning. And in the meantime, you're winning because like you're not setting up those meetings, you're not conducting those interviews, you're not doing the design work. And it's like that win-win yeah. that you're creating. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, great. I mean, you know, as a small business owner that you wear many hats. And yes, if I can take off one of those hats, I'm happy. Yeah. So kind of thinking about all of the hats, right? It, how do you stay on course with meeting your business needs, meeting your needs, keeping your team morale and high spirits, meeting your family needs? It's an interesting topic because... And I actually wrote some notes down here. Yeah. Let me see if I can find them. Well, it's a very challenging question and it's very challenging to do, I would say. Okay. I heard someone say once that there is no such thing as balance. It's just Mm -hmm. juggling, Mm -hmm. which I think is true in a way because if someone says, you know, they have this balance perfect all the time, I'd have to look closer to see because I think in everybody's lives they have those moments where Mm -hmm. they're like stressed out or you know whoa right yes so that's that's the time when I have to say oh wait a minute I'm what's going on here I'm getting a little you know upset at my kids or I'm crying over on this end about something Mm -hmm. and that's when you have to step back and say, okay, let me work on one thing at a time. First off, let me get my 30 minutes a day that I need by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not very good at doing that. So um, I have to write it on a calendar. Yeah. So if I just go, when I get home from work and I go up and I lock my door and I just take 30 minutes to do whatever I want, I feel like refreshed when I come out. And, you know, sometimes I want to take longer than 30 minutes, yeah. but it yeah. doesn't not usually work like that. But I just think that it's, it helps you decompress from mm-hmm. whatever you had going on the, in the day. And I feel Absolutely. like I used to say, oh, why, why do I need to do that? I've just been gone out of the house for eight hours and, you know, mm-hmm. at work. Why do I need to do that? Well, I was at it work for eight hours. and dealing with all these other things. Mm-hmm. That's why I need to do that. It's just having that quiet 
alone time that matters, yeah. not just being away from a certain environment. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I try to do. Another thing I I do if I start getting to the point where I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I need to like take stuff off my plate. Then I start canceling things. Okay. Um, yeah. Saying no. Yes. I'm like, well, looking at my calendar, okay, do I really need to do this? Is this a priority? No. It felt important like an hour ago, but it doesn't feel as important right now. Mm. So remove that. With you, I felt terrible that I was asking, but I knew I couldn't couldn't do it. Like I would have been a puddle on the floor probably. Not very good entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. What I hear you say is I do self-care and I put a container around it and it's for 30 minutes and I schedule it. Like I build this structure in order to support me in doing this thing. And because then when I do this, I can show up and be the person that I want to be and tackle the things that I need to tackle. And then I heard you say, I practice saying no, and I practice canceling things and not making it mean anything about me. That's kind of what I heard you say. Yeah. And, and like I said, a work in progress at that. I, those are my goals to do that. I'm not always doing that. And I'm always trying to, like I said, if I haven't done that in a while and I'm Mm. going a little nuts, I know, Hey, wait a minute. I need to take that time. Mm. So. It's kind of like the stop and notice is like the precursor there too. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. So kind of looking back at your life um, from fighter pilot, from starting this, you know, endeavor and just all of all of the (laughs) leaps that you've taken, what's the bold leap that you are most proud of taking? Well, I guess I am really proud of the fact that I walked into that fire squadron that day and said, Hey, I want to, how do I apply to be a fighter pilot? Yeah. I'm really proud of that and going through with everything. Yeah. Cause you were basically <laughs> told, no, that's what I heard. You're like, I went in and I asked to apply and they said, well, like you can't do this because of the policies, you know, and you just, yeah. you still decided to to bet on yourself. Yeah. yeah. And then it delivered. Yeah. It was definitely paid off. It's just hard to take those risks, I know, and it's hard to be uncomfortable, And but sometimes that's what you need to do to get what you want. I mean, yeah, hard to do that, but yeah. Let's see. Another bold leap would probably have to be the coffee shop, hmm. for sure. I mean, not that we knew exactly what we were getting into, but... Yeah. But when do you really ever in life? Like I have the bulletproof (laughs) plan, you know? Yes. I would say carrying on to that fact is what I'm doing right now is we're opening a downtown location and Mm. building out a bigger location for the Perrysburg. That's awesome. And definitely the Perrysburg one is scary because I'm going into territory I don't, Hmm. you know, I haven't done before. Like starting the downtown location, I feel comfortable with, you know, I know what I'm doing because I've done it before and it's the same stuff I'm doing over here. But with 
the bigger location, we're doing, we have three times as much space. Then we have a full kitchen. We're mm. going to have a gas range, a grill, wow. a candy oven, a full bakery. So we're going to be doing a lot more food than I'm used to. And it's uh, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. Thinking about that and thinking about, you know, I was just here yesterday looking at the whole bar flow and we're going to have two espresso machines now and um, two POSs and double of everything and trying to figure out, you know, when the customer comes in, where they're going to order and where they go and, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. Mm-hmm. So that is a little bit scary. Yeah. It's like you're rolling the die again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really neat. I have no doubt it will be awesome. Yes. I don't have any doubts about that. It's just getting to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the last big bold leap I did was deciding to stop flying hmm. F-16s. Well, actually, what I, I decided first was to get pregnant, to have a family. Okay. Yeah. And then I had two kids and I was, I had my name on the list to go back to school, to go back to training, which was a three month long training process, committing to do that, which I was fully ready to do. And then my commander at the time who had moved over to maintenance Mm -hmm. called me and he said, Buffy, I have an opportunity for you, but you can't fly anymore. Hmm. I want you to come over and be an aircraft maintenance commander, but you would have to give up flying. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, I went back and then I started thinking about it. And then he called me back again and he goes, this is a really great move for your career. Hmm. He goes, I know you love flying. I know you, you're a perfectionist and you, you know, you're going to be coming back after know taking so much time off having to relearn everything and i know that you will give it 110 percent. but i also have this great opportunity over here that you could also do great things with and i really would like you to be a part of it and so i made that decision to Hmm. stop flying that's huge and uh go move over to maintenance and be a commander. Yeah. And I have not doubted it or regretted it ever since. That's awesome. And, you know, cause so often do people overlook the bold leap of stopping something. Like when they stop doing something that they love, like that's, you know, for something else, um, mm-hmm. like how that in and of itself is, is a bold leap. You know, it's still that taking the risk. It's kind of reinventing who you are and your identity and value. That's kind of what I heard. And you did that. Mm -hmm. I did do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was a decision. mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the person that I had to be, and it sounds like who you had to be was like, you're betting on yourself, but in that, like a totally different capacity. And you're putting a lot of trust out there. That was my experience is I put, I had to put a lot of trust out there that I, um, not that things would just work out, but that I would generate them to work out, that I would create that life that I wanted. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a hard decision to make, but then 
when you make it and you feel relieved. So what do you want to tell my listeners um, kind of as an exit, exit completion? What do you want them to know? I guess uh, one thing I would always say to uh, new people, just because you're the new person in the room doesn't mean you don't have great ideas and you can't mm. volunteer those. And actually, those are the people that maybe you want to speak up because they have new eyes to see oh, yeah. this process could be better by doing this. Yeah. So I always tell them to speak up, um, even though that could be somewhat intimidating. Right. But you're kind of giving the, it sounds like you as leader, you're opening the door for them and you're keeping it open. Yeah. The other thing I will say is being a good leader, it's not about being the smartest person in the room. Hmm. It's about humility and making sure that your troops or your employees or whoever it is, that they are taken care of. Hmm. I guess being a leader is not about it being the one in charge. Hmm. It's not about being the one that has all the answers or the know-it-all, I guess. Yeah. It's about lifting up your employees or your troops and giving them some acknowledgments. Yeah. Uh, making sure that you respect what their opinions are. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, you know, you'll listen to what they have to say, um, making sure they're taken care of. And not always being the one to say, oh, yeah, I had this great idea or, oh, yeah, that was my idea. Mm -hmm. You know, it really doesn't matter. I guess when I talk to my employees, I'll say, if I'm talking in a group, I'll say, oh, yeah, this Alex, she had a great idea or Leanne, mm -hmm. you should hear what she came up with. It's about having them do a great job and making sure you recognize it. Yeah. It's like you're the leader of leaders is kind of what I hear you say and seeing and acknowledging their greatness and bringing their greatness forward <clears throat> is kind of what I heard you say. Yeah, yeah. I guess that goes along with being humble and you don't need to take credit for everything. Yeah. I think that is important for up and coming leaders to recognize that. Yeah. It's not just about barking orders and taking charge. It's giving someone a task and seeing how they do it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story. Cause I, I just see so much like you're such a visionary and you really are a trailblazer who were told no, like, Hey, like, no, you, you can't be in this position because it's not allowed. And still just going for it anyways. So I just really acknowledge you for being a visionary in that aspect of your life and really going after what you want and generating it for yourself all the way to being an entrepreneur and being a visionary who has stencils on their coffee, who is expanding locations, who's expanding to a full kitchen and just being that visionary like again and again and again and taking risks and taking those bold leaps. Like I really see you in that. So thank you for sharing. Well thanks for having me. I'm yeah it was really an honor that you asked me to do that. Aww, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
If you'd like to connect, send me an email to coach at trailblazersgrowth.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at trailblazersgrowth. Finally, make sure to check out my website, trailblazersgrowth.com, for all details about individual coaching and upcoming group programs. See you next time.